Hey, what's up? It's Mr. Bill. The track you're listening to right now is the result of a 35-hour tutorial series where I recorded the process of making this song from start to finish and explained myself along the way. If you're interested in learning how to make music or sharpening your craft, go to mrbillstunes.com and check it out. Enjoy the tune. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Sick. All right, man. Welcome to the podcast. Um, yeah, glad to have you on. I, I, it's it's rare that I have someone on who I've like never met or never talked to before. So this is exciting. It's always yeah. They, basically, I, the way this came about is I hit up um, whatever company it is. I can't remember, but I basically hit him up being like because of me and Apache like met a long time ago, and I guess he was working with this PR company for a while. So I hit him up being like, hey, is Apache like still interested in the podcast? And they were like, oh, we don't work with him anymore, but we have all these other artists. Do you want to chat with them? And I was like, yeah, fuck it. Why not? <laughs> Hell yeah, man. <laughs> so Yeah, it's an started. honor to be here, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Um, so honestly, like I don't really know a lot about you or your uh, or anything. So uh, yeah, I mean, maybe like tell us a bit about who you are and maybe that could spawn some some interesting conversation off that. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, um, I go by Microdot, and uh, I've been creating mostly uh, deep dubstep or 140 for about 10 years now, I would say. And um, I've been playing live shows for about eight years and um, mostly self-taught, really, as far as electronic music goes. But um, I kind of started out uh, my music endeavors um, playing the violin, so I'm a classically trained violinist. And um, I started teaching when I was around, uh, I want to say 14 or 15. It was actually my first job. Um, I was teaching uh, basic violin skills, mostly to kids. And uh, I still teach to this day, but not uh, violin. I kind of made the shift towards um, electronic music at a certain point. Although I did, I took the violin really seriously, um, even throughout like some of the college years. And kind of just decided I wanted to focus on dubstep. Um, at a certain point and I've been kind of doing it ever since and I still teach um, but just just over zoom like uh, Ableton related stuff I've been using Ableton for around three years now and before that I was on FL studio and uh, I love Ableton's workflow quite a bit more there was just a certain point when FL just did not work for me at all anymore so um, yeah I made the switch and uh, I'm not looking back so um so yeah, I love Ableton. I, I know that there's a, a ton for me to to learn still, but I do still feel like I have a lot to to offer um, people. And um, and uh, yeah, that, that's about I don't know the the synopsis of my my musical endeavors, I guess. So how how do you get from classical music to deep dubstep? Because like <clears throat> uh, I don't really know a ton about 
classical music, but from what I do know, it's mostly about like learning pieces that were created a few hundred years ago and then basically like playing them back perfectly or interpreting them in your own way based on like how you think the composer, what they meant by writing down the sheet music or whatever. And <clears throat> to me, uh, there's almost like no vibe in classical music. It's like a almost completely technical endeavor where you're basically trying to just like replicate a thing in your well, a bit of vibe, like a bit of interpretation with the with the reading of the sheet music and stuff like that, versus deep dubstep, which is just all vibe and like it's almost like not worrying about the technical too much and and basically just trying to curate this like kind of sort of eerie or you know sort of underground type type vibe to it. Um, so how did how did you get from like that one practice, which you may not think about classical music in the same way, to deep dubstep, which also you may not think about as the same as I do. Yeah, I, I think you're right, man. I think that was kind of the allure of it to me was just to break out of that super, like, I don't know, focusing on, you know, the the techniques of things and, and playing them perfectly, as you said, and into something where I felt like I could be a little bit more creative and, and especially... Um, writing my own music, I, I got kind of tired of, uh, you know, performing other people's music. And I really, I really started to want to compose my own stuff from a really young age. I, I, I really started messing around with FL Studio in like middle school. And it was because I wanted to make um, original beats to rap over actually, which is funny now because I can't rap like at all anymore. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, it, it, it was definitely like a, um, it's it's different for sure, but um, I, I think that once I heard dubstep for the first time, even while I was playing the violin, like in high school, this must have been in like 2006, it really just kind of had this vibe that just really spoke to me. And um, I started to be like a listener for the longest time, and, and eventually I, I kind of was like, yeah, this is this is kind of really what I want to do. And I think honestly what, what a lot of... Um, what inspired me or what kind of clicked when I heard dubstep for the first time was that it kind of reminded me of a lot of the video games that I used to play uh, when I was a kid. Like the first thing that comes to mind is Mortal Kombat, which is one of my absolute favorite um, games. And I just think that that darker sort of vibe um, in music, it really was appealing to me as well. I would consider myself, you know, a little bit more of like a, a darker soul, I guess. And that's actually another um, video game franchise that I love to play is, is Dark Souls. But um, basically, yeah, man, it, it is different. But I, I think mostly it was just the ability to to want to compose my own music that kind of moved me away from, from classical and just like this absolute, um, you know, perfection sort of a thing. It, it got old to me, you know, and I wanted to be able to to kind of do my own thing and, and be creative. Um, to the best of my ability, you know? Yeah. So do, do you find these days <clears throat> when making deep dubstep that there's like any parallel or like any of the skills that you learn from classical music that gets injected into it? Or is it kind of just a completely different practice and a whole different thing? So I would say that although music theory is definitely, um, is useful in you know, composition of any kind of music, including electronic music, it's of course not, needed, you know, and I find myself even these days less and less, you know, kind of looking towards these, you know, things that I learned music theory wise, but, and again, not to say that it's not uh, helpful, you know, I've developed an ear for knowing right away when something is in key or not. And I feel like, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, Chief Kaya, um, he also creates 
amazing tunes. And he had mentioned to me one time when we were sitting down for a collab, like that he had to almost do mathematics in order to figure out um, the key that, that certain sounds were in in order to get them to mesh where I was just able to hear it. And I think that his way of doing it is incredible that he can essentially figure it out just by doing some basic math. But for me, it's, it's just, um, it's just kind of integrated into my being at this point to, to know if something's in key or not. And that's really like what I, what I think is the most helpful from what I've learned, you know, just in school and, you know, just from, from playing the violin is, um, just having that integrated ability to, to know what key you're in, um, and be able to, you know, get samples and key and stuff like that. One of the biggest, uh, I would say challenges sometimes would be getting that marriage between kick and sub down. I mean, it's almost always something is wrong. It seems like to me, like it's either out of phase or, or it's, uh, it's difficult to figure out the key. And, and that marriage is so important, especially in bass music. And I find myself being able to pretty quickly, like figure it out. Um, thankfully where I feel like, um, some other producers may have some challenges with that. Well, I think like humans in general, have challenges with that regardless of like how how good your music theory is because uh, frequencies that low your ear just gets a little bit confused i think which is why metering is obviously important yeah spectrum is great too and um in ableton for that yeah my my trick for that always with sub is i have to pitch it up an octave to be able to hear what it's actually doing a lot of the time and then i can pitch it back down and go like all right i know that's in key even though like Sometimes at those low, low frecencies due to like room modes and everything, it can sometimes sound a little confusing and especially in headphones because you're really just hearing like the upper harmonics of it. And if those upper harmonics come from something that has odd uh, wave, uh, odd harmonics like a, a saw or a square wave or whatever, sometimes it can kind of confuse your ear, I think, especially when you put a filter on it, which then creates like a phase shift. And Right, for sure. Cool. So... um. So you don't play violin at all anymore? It's just electronic music only? It's it's like once in a blue moon, I'll pick it up. I still have one. I still have all the sheet music. But yeah, it, it, I really did devote myself fully to just composition and um, of, of electronic music. I just feel like that's really where my, my heart and soul is at at this time. And, you know, I, I'm sure maybe later on in life, you know, when I, once I get older or maybe I'll get bored of electronic music someday, maybe I'll pick it up and you know, start to focus on it a little bit more. But yeah, I, I gotta be honest, it's, it's pretty rare for me to, to play it these days. True. So what are, what are your goals right now for electronic music? Like, what are you kind of trying to work towards? So, um, right now I, I would say that finding a good manager would be like a great, um, goal. That's what we've been doing for a while. My agent and I just trying to seek out the absolute best, uh, manager, um, I mean, I can't stress enough the importance of like a good agent and, uh, and manager. I mean, it's just, it's almost having, having someone who really cares about your project and, and has a a vision and direction for it is going to ultimately help the artist so much. And, um, I'm just so thankful to have an agent who really cares so much about the project and is putting so much into it to assist me and, um, and moving things forward and, and a manager would be a really awesome thing who has more experience in marketing and, and just, um, things like that. So that's, that's a major goal of mine. Um, the next thing is just kind of continuing to put myself out there and, um, 
kind of just recognizing my brand as as a business, which which took a really long time for me to kind of kind of accept that because, you know, as, as a creative or like an artist, you know, you're just, you want to just be able to focus on the art. And, and I think that it can be, um, it, it can feel difficult sometimes to recognize the, the business aspect of it. So, but that's what I've been doing. I think I finally have found a balance between the two. And that being said, I, I just am investing in the project, investing in myself, continuing to invest in my equipment and uh you know my studio and um and that yeah that's another one of the goals for me as well is just continuing to upgrade certain things in my studio continue to get better um soundproofing and really dial in uh my mixes uh because i'm I'm starting to hear mixes that are just like absolutely insane from artists in 140 and it just has made me question everything that i'm doing recently like everything Hmm. who's a who's an example of someone with insane mixes at 140 um, I would say Hamdi, Hamdi, okay. and he's he's like he's really blown up uh, recently. Skrillex played one of his tunes, or maybe even multiple, in his like basement mix, which was super dope mix, and um, and just absolutely incredible the way that certain things are standing out to me. It almost just sounds like everything is clipped um, to a certain extent, and it's just everything is big and and like has its own. Um, place in the mix and I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good at you know filling out dead space and mixes and stuff like that but um, yeah but this is healthy I think this is healthy to get to a point of questioning everything uh, within production or or your mixes or mastering because to me that is gonna you know bring your music to a whole next level and just knowing that also like on a on a level of I don't know I guess like the the ego just knowing that nothing that we do is ever perfect and uh there's always room for improvement Mm, yeah interesting yeah no i agree with you i think um no matter how much i learn about music and stuff there's never a point at which i'm like all right my mixes are perfect and i've got no more learning to do it's the goalpost is constantly moving whereas if you showed my mixes now to like me 10 years ago i'd be like that's insane like how right that's like more than i could ever hope to probably get to with a mix done um but interesting that you say hamdi because uh it's not like I like his shit. I think it's great. But definitely the mix down is not what stands out to me there. It's more the songwriting, I would say, that stands out. It's like a very, very simple idea. And honestly, I think um, if you get your songwriting nailed, the mix down kind of just falls into place. Like, for instance, you were saying <clears throat> uh, about keys and st- and stuff out of phase and all of that stuff. Well, if everything's in key, nothing is going to be out of phase generally because basically phase is like a time difference of, of something and time differences a lot of the time happen due to differences in frequency you know like if you have a kick that is in c and you're trying to put it over a bass that's in c sharp the kick will be you know in c will be uh happening slightly slower than the one in c sharp and therefore there'll be like this shift at some point where one goes out of time with the other on this like micro level and that, you could look at that as an engineering thing, but I, I personally look at that as a songwriting thing. And I feel like if you get all those things right, then the mix just is perfect. Like I got this, this buddy, you might know, um, do you know AU5? No, I don't. He's like a, he's a dubstep producer and he has perfect pitch and he's also like just a god tier engineer. And he's somehow like bridged the gap between having perfect pitch and and like good musical ideas with, with mix downs and production. 
and it's really interesting like he can kind of hear something and just be like oh that that like has a harmonic that's in C sharp but the song is in this and therefore that that's going to create some dissonance and then either just remove that C sharp in an EQ or pick a different sample that doesn't have that or something and it, yeah I worked with him once on an EP and it was just crazy like working with him because whenever there was a problem like he was able to just identify it so quickly and fix it and he'd just like make one movement like pull a thing out and then bam it's like perfect and I was like what the hell that thing like that thing that sounded like slightly wrong I would have thought about for like a, a week and like right. had so much trouble trying to figure out what was wrong with it and he just figures it out instantly which is really cool but in and I, I love his music too and perhaps as a result of that I feel like his stuff can sometimes feel like a little bit too perfect like sometimes sure. <laughs> I think you gotta you gotta embrace some of those like weird quirks about stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, so so it sounds like like a lot of your goals at the moment, uh, not so so much music related, but like administrative, right? Like finding a manager, upgrading gear, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I would say so, but also you know con considering just um, I don't know what I'm going through with with mixing right now. I I think that also you know like that's another thing I really want to. Um, focus on as well is is kind of figuring out like what people are doing to get it so loud and so clean at the same time and and um also i guess that's gonna you know probably affect my uh the way i master things as well because you know if you start to mix things differently there's most likely going to be um some different mastering processes happening as well and i something that you had mentioned that i i find um really important i i just can't stress the um the fact enough that sometimes you you have to use a different sample you had mentioned that um you know sometimes you have to switch out a sample and um, i feel like it's it's important to not get too invested in the samples that you use um, because sometimes you do just kind of have to switch it out and and use an entirely different one and and it could sound even better than the one that you had in there and um, just in terms of of getting things to sound cohesive and the mix to sit right you know so that that's just something that stood out to me and also by the way i, I don't think that i have a uh, perfect pitch by any means like it sounds like your friend does like you know that it sounds like he's like on a whole different level than I am, but you know it, it's obviously a, a skill I have to be able to pick things out. You know, just based on you know having a trained ear over the years. But um, I, I don't think I necessarily have perfect pitch where I could be like, oh yeah, that's like C sharp or whatever, and it needs to be C. You know, it's it's more just like okay, I can tell that something's a little bit off. Yeah, going back to um, sw switching out samples, I listened to an interview recently with um Fred again. And he was talking with Jamie Liddell on the Audio Files podcast. And he he said, oh, I was in the studio. I can't remember who it was that he was making a beat with, but they were like this massive beat producer. They'd make stuff for like like Drake and stuff, like the, the biggest shit, basically. And he was like, I didn't see him touch an EQ or a compressor once. Like basically all he did is like he'd put a beat together and if it wasn't sounding right, it just changed the sample. And he would just keep doing that until it all sat right and... He was like, and, and he didn't do shit. Like he maybe put a limiter on the master and that's it. But he didn't touch a single EQ, single compressor. He just literally was like switching out samples. And yeah, and that definitely like kind of, uh, yeah, rung a bell with me for sure. But go going back to the business thing, um, I definitely agree that like at some point you kind of have to see your, uh, your art project as a business if you want to do art as your like full-time thing. And a lot of people, I think, are like very resilient, uh, resistant to this, <clears throat> and don't want to do it because they think like uh, it, it like reduces the integrity of them as an artist or something like that. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, if you're choosing to be an artist, there's like many facets to the job and making the art is just like one facet. You've also got to be good at like delegating work to other people uh, for stuff like social media and marketing and all of this kind of stuff and, and whatnot. <clears throat> and to some degree, everyone does this. Like for instance, if you're not the promoter on all of your shows, you're delegating one part of like the branding and marketing to, to somebody else, a promoter, right? Um, whether you choose to recognize it or not. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I've had this issue as well before where I've been like, no, nah, man, art. <laughs> and like, I just want to do art. But I think the difference between people who are like massive and people who are, who are not is A, they work really fucking hard. Like I've got a few friends who are really, really big and they just work harder than anyone I've ever seen. Like Dead Mouse, for instance, I went to his house and just I did not see him stop working basically the entire time. Um, and they're really good at switching between like being an artist and being a business person. It's like they're almost both at once all the time. And I personally find it hard to be in both minds at once, to be thinking about business while I'm making art. Like I feel like I have to sort of separate them, but they just seem to have this switch where they can just go between it, which I find really impressive. Yeah, I, I totally agree, man. I think it's kind of a one thing or the other. For me, there's there's just no way I can be focusing on business while creating art. I think that that would probably pull, you know, the wrong sort of inspirations in. And, you know, I'd probably create music that wouldn't be me. And, you know, I'm not, would I love to be able to buy a house with my music someday? Absolutely. But, you know, I don't want that to be like my main motivation for creating because I think that that would put it in a direction that, just wouldn't be me anymore you know yeah true so uh, for, so is the reason why you think that because you think that you would make art that would be like more fake or something like that or like what what's your thought process behind that i guess to me it's like a lot of the music that seems to generate a lot of money is just music that wouldn't come from my heart and soul you know and i'm not to say that someday maybe I won't vibe with, you know, certain sounds more, but, um, a lot of the stuff that I make, at least currently, some of it's heavier, some of it's more chill and vibey, but I just feel like deep dubstep and like 140 as a whole is, you know, mostly still pretty much underground. And, um, not to say that there aren't some artists that have made it past, you know, the underground, which there are, you know, definitely quite a few who have, but I just personally think that, you know, in order to get to that point someday with being able to um, be as successful as I want to be, um, I want to just be able to do it um, with my own genuine art and not kind of push myself in a direction that I that I think people want to hear. Mm. Yeah, I'm sort of like torn on this. Like I don't, so the stuff that gets really big, I try to, I think about it a lot and I'm like, I have a few questions about it. The first question I have about stuff that gets really big is, is it like quote unquote better than stuff that doesn't get really big? And there's an almost objective argument that it is better, I think, by saying that like the biggest value of art, I think, in my opinion, is that it brings people happiness. And if you make a song that gets 600 million plays on Spotify and even only 10% of those people like get true happiness out of that song that's still like 60 million people that you brought true happiness to you know versus like if you make something that's like from your pure integrity art state that gets like a hundred thousand plays and probably still only 10 percent of those people actually experience true happiness from it 
and it's like 10,000 people versus 60 million, you know? That, that yeah, that is a good point, but I, I guess at the same time, I do wonder like how how did how did that make you feel creating it though? You know, I guess you know seeing sixty million people or whatever that love your song that would be a great feeling, but but what was the feeling while you were creating it? You know, so I don't necessarily think stuff that gets big got big because the person making it hated it. I think it's just this lucky thing that happens. Like, like, obviously, there's some people who make music purely from the get-go. They're like, I'm trying to make this a pop song that gets huge. But I think the stuff that gets, like, ultra, ultra huge is because the person making it loved it and somehow their vision of what they love doing somehow aligned with the masses' vision of what they love hearing and it just, like, came together. I love that, man. I hope that I'd create something like that for sure, multiple times, hopefully, <laughs> you know? That yeah, that's It's just kinda, perfect. Yeah, that's generally how I feel when I'm making music. Uh, I've made music before in the past where I'm like, all right, I'm going to make something and I'm going to try to make it like be like more poppy sounding and, and hopefully it'll get more plays than my other shit. And it, it never really does. And then every now and then I just make something. I have a great time while making it and then I put it out and it somehow gets a million plays. And I'm like, well, why did that happen? And I don't, I have no idea. And I, right. my theory is that it's just, you know, I just got lucky basically with like the thing that I enjoyed at the time and the thing that people enjoyed at the time. It came out at the right time on the right day and just like all gelled properly and stuff. I don't, yeah, I don't know if there's any formula to it though. Then again, you've got people like Max Martin who somehow are able to pump out like number one pop hits over and over and over again. Right. I listened to an interview with him the other day and he said um, the way he writes lyrics is he just like kind of hums and makes like formant sounds. He just goes, nah, 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 nah. and then he just like doesn't even give a shit what the words are. Like English is not even his first language, he's Swedish. Uh, and then he just like goes, all right, that melody with those kind of like articulations and formants with the voice sound interesting. Now let's just find words to fill those up. Doesn't even matter if it makes sense. That's an incredible way of making music, man. <clears throat> I love that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And he just, like, he wrote, you know, like, Britney Spears' Toxic. He, he wrote, like, hey, let me pull this shit up. He, he's, like, the the pop guy, like, the guy who's basically music you've heard for your entire life and probably haven't realized. Let's see. <clears throat> yeah, he did a bunch of Britney Spears stuff, a bunch of Pink stuff, um, Usher, Avril Lavigne, Katy Perry, Christina Aguilera, Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande, The Weeknd, Coldplay, like, everything. It's insane. Wow. And this, yeah, it's like, how the fuck, like, does this dude in his one brain make just sh shit over and over and over again that just hits number one? It, it makes sense, though, because I do feel like, obviously, the the voice is a, it's an instrument. And, you know, it does make sense that the lyrics themselves are secondary to just the, you know, the the tonality of it, the, the, um, the key that it's in, just the melody. I mean... That's really cool, though. It's just not something that I would have ever thought to do. So that's pretty Yeah, sweet. it's like, well, how, how often do you listen to a pop song and you sit down and go like, what does this really mean? You know, like, Yeah, man, like so many times. It's like, yeah, you, you don't. Well, I don't personally. Like I literally just hear it and go like, oh, this sounds cool. It sounds pleasing to the ear. Like I don't, it makes me not think, which is kind of like, you know, <laughs> right, thinking yeah. too much is sort of a pain in the ass. No, I so, just mean I'm not like analyzing the lyrics necessarily like on popular yeah, yeah. songs, you know. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. And I don't think anyone is, which is like, and this might be maybe the reason why is because there is not a lot to analyze there. <laughs> it's literally <laughs> yeah. just like random words applied to like some random melody. Right. But yeah, anyway, that guy's pretty interesting. <clears throat> Um, what else? What What are you doing today? Shit, man. Um, 
wife is out of the house mostly for this interview, but she's getting some stuff done. Um, my son is with her and I'm just doing this today and hopefully working on some music as well. And, um, yeah, I, I, I actually have some collabs going on with a guy I'm going on tour with, uh, soon. So, um, that's probably going to be the main priority, but, um, oh, cool. who's the, who's the person that you're going on tour with? Salty. Oh, I know Salty, Brett. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, he he lives pretty close to me, actually, here in Atlanta. No shit. Yeah, I played a couple of shows with him. Uh, I played one with him in Woodstock recently, Illinois. Oh no, sorry, Peoria, Illinois. Okay, cool. Yeah, he's yeah. he's the coolest fucking dude. I love him. Yeah, he's he's a nice guy. I chatted with him in a car for like an hour. Um, what what's do you know what cities you're hitting yet, or is that sort of all yet to be booked? Um, so there is some stuff, uh, that's been locked in. I don't know too much about it yet. I haven't really bugged my agent too much, but I do know that there's like four stops in Florida and four stop, four stops in, uh, Tennessee. So there's definitely some actual tour kind of stuff happening, which I'm excited about. I love doing that. I think that's going to be kind of the main focus instead of doing, um, I don't know. My agent refers to them as like one-off shows, I guess, which are, you know, always fun to play still but um i think that kind of touring is really the way to go especially with like having a family um you know it's just a little bit easier i guess to to know when i'm going to be gone and kind of plan for stuff a little bit better and not that you can't do that with one-off shows but i don't know i, I just feel like it's going to be kind of easier for me to plan my life out and and um you know i guess generate the know that certain income is coming in too because you know it's obviously it can be kind of like a uh, an unknown thing sometimes knowing when you're going to make money like am i going to be able to pay the bills and like you know i've had a few times where i've quit a, uh, a job where i made good money as a honda technician to pursue music and um you know usually i've been able to make it work for about a year and or sometimes less and then i'd have to go back for whatever reason the latest reason I had to go back was because um, I wasn't like I, I didn't start my LLC until just recently. And I regret that so much because if I had done it years ago and was paying taxes, you know, being 1099, you know, I would have been able to take out a loan potentially for a house and I wasn't able to do that. So I had to go back to a job, which I'm at right now and uh, start wrenching again um, in order Sorry, to. What, what was what technician did you say? Uh, so I'm a Honda mechanic. Oh, Honda, like the car or the bike? Yep, the cars. Okay, cool, cool. That's awesome. You're a mechanic. That's yeah, really man. Cool. So the last time I kind of quit, though, I, th that's really when I like took it super seriously. And I treated it like a job. And I was doing that for five months. And every day I was, you know, waking up in the morning, eating breakfast with the family, uh, you know, maybe having some coffee. And I would like basically just be making music all day until they got home. And I feel like that was such a good feeling even when like there were times I just felt like it was extremely difficult to do I kept doing it anyway you know and I kept up this kind of like hard work mentality um this whole time and, and I'm and I cannot wait to get back into that so basically I think touring is going to allow me to hopefully not have to work a nine-to-five so that I can have um some guaranteed income and, and sort of be able to plan things out a little bit um better Mm, yeah. How, how did I'm curious about being a mechanic? How did you get into that? Like, how did you learn how to fix cars? Yeah, man. So um, I became passionate about cars at kind of a young age and uh, got into uh, Hondas just because it was 
affordable. I think my first car was like a 96 Honda Prelude. And um, I actually had one recently that was like a project car that I had modified and looked super cool. Um, but I sold it recently. But um, yeah, it was kind of just like a hobby for the longest time. And I started to, um, I, I've worked a lot of shitty jobs, man like all sorts of shitty jobs. And I just never really had one that I even like partially enjoyed until, um, I started as a, as a mechanic. And I thought that that actually kind of worked out. And I was actually selling cars at the time at Honda and I was terrible at it, man. <laughs> like I could not fucking do the job. And, and I ended up, uh, having like a quarrel with like one of the managers and they ended up firing me. And I talked to the general manager of, of service and uh, they were like, yeah, we could use a guy. And I was like, okay, like, you know, I've, you know, have some experience just doing, you know, basic maintenance and, and modifications on my own Hondas. Like, I'll give it a try. And this was in like 2015. And I've kind of, you know, on and off been in and out of shops while, you know, doing uh, music at the same time, trying to make it work for, you know, just since then pretty much if not before that and uh you know just with other jobs besides being a mechanic and uh yeah just this year i was like really really focused on music treating it like a job which some days sucked man like i'm sure you're aware like because this is your main thing and um yeah some days are really hard man and you just got to push through that i feel like almost you know working a nine to five is easier sometimes than continuing making music and treating music like a job and um i i used to find it hard and i feel like it honestly gets easier like at, at this point for me to grind out a 12-hour day on building a set or making a tune or whatever is nowhere near as hard as it used to be but I'm, i do remember the days when like i didn't really feel like writing music and i'd be like oh but i should because like this and that and i need a song for this and i want to finish this album and i want to have a new song to play live and like all this shit and that yeah there was a time i think where it was like kind of a pain in the ass but i think i've just i've done it for like almost you know 15 years straight now of just all day every day and it gets to a point where i'm just like it's just, it's just what i do it's like Hell yeah, man. no problem anymore yeah i'm looking forward to getting to that point someday man i, I feel it's like, like a muscle right like anything i feel like create like your brain is a muscle and the more you work a specific thing the better you get out like if i read a book right i'd never exercise my reading a book muscle so i'll read a book for like an hour and i'll be like physically fucking tired from it like it'll it'll like wear my brain down but using ableton it just it just is not effort anymore and i yeah i just i feel like you'll get to that point too if you just treat it like a job and do what you're doing for sure hell yeah man that's super nice i'm definitely looking forward to getting to that point yeah um yeah going back uh to the mechanic thing that'll come out come out useful on tour i think because i assume if you're doing not one-offs you're going to be doing this touring in a van or something right uh yeah I, I would imagine probably promoters will be like um driving us from one venue to the other that's at least my experience in the past you know like having like a few shows uh near each other would just be it's like the promoter's responsibility to kind of drive you from one place to the next um so I, I don't know if we'll actually have a van though. That would be pretty cool someday. That's definitely like something to aspire to. Yeah, I mean, definitely if you end up do touring in a van, get a Honda because it might break down, and then you'll be in a good position to at least know what maybe the problem is and how to get back on the road as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and going back to 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 setting up an LLC and stuff, I I feel you, man. Like I didn't set up my LLC until I was uh until 2019 which is 
like a solid 10 years into my career basically of being a yeah, full-time man. musician and then i set it up that year and then got a really fucking nasty surprise in 2020 when i had to pay 100 grand in tax of like Holy back pays. yeah it was fucked and then uh but it's good like i mean i, I figured it out and now I have a house, which is awesome, like awesome. five years later or something. So, yeah, it's definitely a smart idea to set that up as soon as possible, including anybody listening if they haven't done that and are trying to be a full-time musician. Because, yeah, if you don't, like, I think, like, a lot of musicians, they, they just sort of, like, uh, it's not that they don't care, but they just, like, don't ever, like, kind of look into shit or don't really ever think that they're going to be at a position where they could possibly make enough money to buy a house or take out a loan or anything like this. <laughs> But you never know, like it might get to that that point and, and when it does, you need to have like paperwork to show people to be like, yeah, see, I have regular income. I've had regular income for X amount of years. The regular income is this much. Therefore, you can safely loan me X amount of money so I can buy a house. And it's as, as a musician, it's extremely hard to get a bank to loan you like half a million dollars. Because <laughs> they're imagine. like, wait, you do music? Like <laughs> they they just don't trust that industry at all. And why should they? I mean, it's like kind of a sketchy industry to be honest like as far as you know uh normalization and standardization of stuff goes there is really like no union or like no sort of back end built into it like there is with you know other industries like retail or something like that um but yeah definitely good idea that you did that and i really hope that it works out for you and that you're able to buy a house thank you man yeah i, I really appreciate that we are we are, are actually uh we are buying one um right now oh, but it's just congrats. yeah it's what thank you man i've actually been a homeowner for like almost five years and oh well wow. it, it's been great but um it's definitely time for something a little bigger <laughs> we're definitely uh kind of struggling with the space and it's like 750 square feet man so it's it's small and um yeah, but it's better than no house so. yeah and where, uh, where are you based at so i'm in the city of minneapolis right now Oh, cool. Oh, that makes sense that you're into like 140 stuff. So we're like Tony and from and Yeah, man. They're Actually, I well. just played there on the weekend. Uh, I played at the Poor House. Dude, we actually played the same night in the cities. Oh, did you play for 12th Planet? No, no. I was like, I was actually like the headliner of like a smaller, more low key show at Rock Bar, uh, oh, which cool. is my first time playing there. And I guess were you, you guys were doing the Grillsmith thing, right? Or um... uh, Chris was. That's oh, yeah. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you're, yeah, yeah so you and him have a collab project though. It's Kill Bill, right? Kill Bill. That's what we were doing there. Yeah. Yeah. Super dope. I he did like Grill you... Smith in the morning and then we did Kill Bill at night. Hell yeah. Um, is that like any sort of a reference to the Tarantino films? I, yeah, obviously. But like, um, the, the reason why it came about is cause there was this promoter named Max Kipperman who lived in Denver and I don't think he's a promoter anymore. I think he studies law now. But at the time, he was a promoter for electronic music shows. And he just had that idea. He's like, I want to do a Kill Bill show where it's like Chris and Bill. And then, you know, they both play their own sets and then do like a back-to-back -back thing at the end of the night. And we did it one time and we didn't think we we're going to do it ever again. We're like, yeah, that's a cool idea. Let's do it. And then all of a sudden, we started getting like festival offers for it. They were like, we want Kill Bill. <laughs> and we're like, it's not a thing. Like, right. well, I guess I guess it is now. But like, and then, yeah, we just we started getting offers for it. And now it's like it's whole now it's a whole thing. It's its own business. It like run. Yeah, it's a whole separate ass thing. That's dope, man. Yeah. Um, I know Max too. He's he's an awesome guy. Um, oh, yeah. nice. How do you know Max? From uh, submission, being on the mm, submission yeah. agency. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. I don't know if he's is he still on there or. I don't think so, man. I think he has kind of gone a different route. 
Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't really know what, but yeah, if you're saying he's studying law, that's really dope. Yeah, I believe that's what he's doing. I think he lives in New York now or something. But yeah, anyway, so that's how it came about. It like wasn't even a planned thing. It just somehow happened. That's sick. Which, in my opinion, is like how all the coolest shit happens. It's like never really supposed... You don't like plan it. It just kind of falls into place. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Why did, <laughs> yeah. Like, why didn't I think of that before? Yeah, like super like, organically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Chris and I both love each other's music, both respect each other a lot as producers. Um, we work really well together, I think. Uh, yeah, it just worked out well. But um, damn, yeah, there was a lot of shows happening in Minneapolis that night. Right before um, the Kill Bill show, I was hanging out with um, Virtual Riot and 12th Planet. And yeah, 12th Planet had a show like basically right next door to where I was playing at The Loft. Okay. I guess Minneapolis just has like a poppin' scene at the moment. It's like kind of turning into like Midwest Denver or something. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of electronic music out here for sure. Mm. Do you know Slam Academy out there? I do. Yes, I know, you know JP very well. JP, yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, he. Um, I taught for him for a while in Denver. They got a. Uh, yeah, they're, they're a cool school. I like JP a lot. He's um very organized. Have you ever like taught there or hung out there? So I do. I am on like the website as a private tutor, but unfortunately, I just there was a few things that occurred that like didn't allow me to really do teaching. Even right now, it's it's hard for me to to teach just having a nine to five. As I'm kind of like you know, getting this house and, and getting prepared for all that. So it's, I try not to stress myself out too much when I'm working a nine to five, cause I, I still want time for music and I need to make time for my son, but I am yeah. on the website as a private instructor. Um, and, uh, I have been there, uh, more than several times I would say. And, and I've met, um, Mike rat as well. Who's a super dope dude. Um, really great teacher. Um, and a great producer as well. And uh, JP makes some really cool shit too. He, I think the last thing I heard from him was like an IDM track that was really sick. So big up JP, big up Mike Rat, big up Slam Academy. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, I agree with you. I think time management's really important. Like sometimes I want to do 10 things, but I have to like pick two of them because it's not very fulfilling to do 10 things 10% of the way. It's more fulfilling to do one thing 100% of the way. And yeah, I had to learn that one the hard way too, like <laughs> over the years, starting like many projects and not really finishing any of them. And then eventually going like, all right, I'm just going to put all my time into like this one thing, like an album or like the website or something like that. And then doing that a hundred percent until it's finished. Um, it's definitely more, uh, more rewarding both financially and, uh, like internally, I think to do that for so sure, you definitely got to give yourself time and unfortunately make concessions on certain projects which will always happen regardless of whether or not you're working i think once you start to like get super into the the business i think there's always a hundred million things that you could possibly do and you can only really ever do one at a time properly absolutely man yeah that's like just trying to multitask it's damn near impossible you know yeah people who say they can do it i think are kind of bullshitting i i i think like Yes, you can technically do multiple things at a time, but everything that you do, if you're doing it at once, gets worse. Exactly. 100% agree. Yeah, like it's possible, but it's not a good idea. Right. <laughs> well, hey, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It was really nice to chat with you for a bit. And um, yeah, hopefully I'll see you around on, on the road or something. Yeah, man, it'd be great to meet up in person someday. Fuck yeah. All right, man. Cheers. All right. Peace, man.
Yo, what's up? Thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. This show is produced and edited by Robert Fumo. You can get early access to the show by going to my website, mrbillstunes.com and paying me instead of Patreon. And remember to go rate and review on iTunes or I'm going to come to your house and punch your dog in the throat, upper deck your toilet and fuck your partner. Note, I may or may not do those last couple of things. Uh, you should probably just go rate it on iTunes or Spotify or whatever it is that you listen to the podcast on because it really helps the podcast. Um, but but just know that, that it'll go a long fucking way to me not doing those things if you do go do that. So uh, just, just putting that out there. I know what I'm doing.